From quantum physics to poetry, from neuroscience to geography, from philosophy to immersive realities, Building 21 is a space where one can explore, play with, manipulate, bend, break, and probe the multifaceted dimensions of ideas, knowledge, and thinking. An immersive artist and journalist, Francesca Panetta is creative director at the MIT's Center for Advanced Virtuality. Francesca Panetta uses emerging technologies to innovate new forms of storytelling that have social impact. In her previous role at The Guardian, Francesca pioneered new forms of journalism, including interactive features, location-based augmented reality, and most recently virtual reality, where she led an in-house VR studio. Francesca has received numerous awards from all over the world. She was a 2019 Neiman Fellow at Harvard University. So how do you want to do this? Maybe give us a bit of a background on the center yeah. and how it was created? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm really at your disposal for whatever's most interesting for you. Um, so why don't I tell you a bit about myself, first of all, because um, I definitely come from a, a kind of interdisciplinary background as well. So I started originally as a classical musician. Um, I was also a singer, John. Um, I studied at King's College London in in London and uh, worked in radio, we moved to kind of classical radio for um, a while and then kind of found myself being drawn across into documentaries and kind of experimental sound art and experimental radio broadcast and then ended up at The Guardian for a really long time. I went there to set up their podcast unit when no one really knew what podcasts were in 2006. And it was this wonderful experimental playground where I could do anything and I ran a podcast team and no one knew really what podcasting was. So I had an amazing large platform uh, and a whole load of journalists to play with, but really like no... Um, no uh, strict protocols on in terms of how to um, what the output needed to be so um, it was it was a really interesting uh, you know interesting space for someone who was very interested in sound um, and then I moved across to a kind of special projects role there where I could really experiment with storytelling and working with developers and designers and journalists and filmmakers and data people and I experimented in what yeah, what experimental storytelling could look like, um, really within kind of documentary space. My interest has always been kind of human, human stories and kind of long form documentary rather than, um, rather than news. Um, and then that developed into a role running running the virtual reality studio there. So I made, um, I made this piece called Six by Nine, which was a piece about solitary confinement in American prisons. And um, yeah, it put you in the position of being um, incarcerated in a six foot by nine foot cell. And um, from that piece, um, we managed to get a big partnership with Google, which meant that I was running a, a large studio, in-house studio at The Guardian and making um, a real output of, of VR pieces. So I did that. Um, I did that for a few years running our team there. And then I, then I went to Harvard and did a journalism fellowship um, the Neiman Journalism um, Fellowship, uh, which was, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the cohort of you. We were all kind of 
from more from journalism or um, kind of media backgrounds, but there were people from all around the world with all different kinds of interests from Japan and Turkey. And it was just this kind of great year where we could really explore um, kind of uh, in a way that was very hard within um, kind of media organizations. Um, and so I then moved to MIT because I wanted somewhere where I could continue to explore more freely than within a, a media organization that has a very kind of, um, you know, rightly so has um, a, a kind of remit for its audiences to produce, you know, um, kind of high quality consumable media, but it means that you can't really experiment and play to the extent that you can within university context. Um, so I moved to a new centre that was being set up at MIT called the Centre for Advanced Virtuality, which is run by my boss, um, Professor Fox Harrell, who's got a background in AI and in, in media as well. And um, the centre's really trying to look at experimental ways to think about this idea of virtuality or virtual presences. And that can be anything from your Facebook presence to AR to VR to AI. Um, so I, um, I moved there just over a year ago and started making this project, which I'd got a, a Mozilla um, Creative Media Awards grant, um, along with another fellow artist, um, Halsey Bagand. And we started to make this piece called In Event of Moon Disaster. Um, the idea was always that it would be um, a physical installation. So just to recap, for those of you who might not have had a chance to, to look the film up, um, it's a piece that um, looks at what deep fakes are and what their potential is by reimagining the 1969 moon landing. And it uses a real piece of documentary material, which is a speech that was written for President Nixon by Bill Sapphire. So this is a, a speech that never had to be read by Nixon, thankfully, because the moon landing, as we all know, uh, was successful. Um, but the most dangerous part of that mission was, was returning the astronauts from the moon on the lunar lander back to the control module, which would take them back to Earth. So this, um, this kind of elegy written by Sapphire um, was written really for that possibility that they'd be left on the moon. Um, so um, I worked with two AI companies, um, one in um, Tel Aviv and the other in um, the Ukraine, um, who made um, for us a, a, a visual representation of Nixon reading the speech and, and, and then re-speech in the Ukraine made the synthetic Nixon voice. Um, and it was, a, you know, it was quite a long process. They're both very, very high um, quality kind of production companies that that are trying to kind of work in the essentially in the kind of Hollywood area of making high quality synthetic media and um, so we made this kind of I think pretty realistic deep fake of Nixon reading the speech um, but the idea I guess you know my, my co-director and I are from arts backgrounds and the idea is that just a speech on its own really wouldn't be that effective just you know reading something from the Oval Office and without all the, you know, without all the drama and the anticipation of what that actually meant. So being storytellers, you know, we think, where do you start that story? And you start it, you know, uh, with the takeoff, with going up into, up, up into orbit and then using what uh, misinformation um, experts call cheap fake techniques. You know, I essentially edited a crash on, of the lunar lander onto the moon by 
you know, chopping up bits of footage and editing the sound and uh, reversing, you know, reversing bits of footage to make it look like the lunar lander crashes on the onto the moon's surface, and then we um, follow that with with the deep fake. Um, so the the piece started as an installation a year ago um, at the International Documentary Festival in Amsterdam, and we created a nine a, a living room set. So the the original idea was that we would be inviting people into a kind of semi watch party like um, environment where you would huddle around the television and watch this together. And so we piped the film through a 1966 television. Um, there, was, there were adverts looping and then you'd press a button and the film would start. We created a newspaper uh, which sat alongside the exhibition which you could take away, which explained why we made the project and how we made it and what the dangers to democracy are around deep fakes, what the um, possibilities are for synthetic media, for the arts and for, for medical health. Um, and that, so that was the kind of first iteration of the project. And then in July of this year, we launched um, the digital version of that, which is probably what, what you have hopefully seen. Um, which had, you know, those some of those articles that were in that paper, plus an interactive, and we partnered with Scientific American to make um, a documentary. Um, and so it's, you know, it's we, we were really proud of it. It reached a lot of people, like nearly a million people have seen the film. Um, it's the, the, you know, people have been using the resources in all kinds of way. We're now building a, a, an education module for undergraduates. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of branched into lots of wings from art installation to uh, education modules to something that really everyone can see on YouTube or can, can do on our website. And we're now thinking about how else to expand this project. Um, it seemed to be something that has resonated with people um, I think it being a topic that a lot of people love, you know, the moon landing in space. It's not a lot of the deep fakes out there are very politically divisive. Um, this isn't it's even though it is a politician reading it, it's, you know, it's really we wanted a topic that had an, a large element of nostalgia that people would love that didn't divide our audiences, but really showed just how powerful and misleading they can be, as well as potentially creative. You know, AI, synthetic media can also be creative for artists as well and has possibilities. So that was the aim of the project. Um, and I, you know, I think I'm, I'm happy to take questions from all you lot, but I think that maybe one of the things that might be interesting is, is how often I work with really wide ranges of people from very, very different disciplines. Always, you know, my, the work that I do, whether it's VR or AR or AI or interactive films or binaural podcasts, I'm always working with a right, wide range of academics and filmmakers and sound artists and architects and people from from all kinds of different disciplines because they bring very different elements and um you know one of the one of the workshops i often give is is about um how to come up with kind of strong ideas when you're when you're coming up with concept ideas but also having like absolute latitude to ditch it all and go in new directions and how to do those things um, kind of simultaneously almost um, so I think that for me is one of the one of the things about these you know very experimental projects which are far more than than me like I have got no coding skills I still don't really understand how machine learning works I understand it a little bit now but it's really like this is not my 
it is not my speciality, um, computer science um, or, or AI. But what I have got the capacity to do is build really strong partnerships and bring together people from really different backgrounds to create, um, you know, usually very high quality, immersive, visceral experiences on pro, kind of pro-social topics. So I don't know whether you want to ask me questions or if there are particular things you want me to talk more about specifically, but I'm, you know, whatever is most useful. I'm just going to ask one question quickly. There's a lot of noise around me. I don't know if you guys can hear that horrible noise, but uh, and then I'll let others ask questions. So Francesca, there's so many things negative about deepfakes. The name itself, the origin of the technology, the way it's been used originally, mm -hmm. uh, very, very aggressive way of doing it. How would you see deepfakes improving social good in 10, 20 years from now? How can we use it for social good, for justice, for the arts, instead of just seeing it as this negative technology? Yeah, I mean, I think in a way, us calling it deepfake is, is um, kind of misleading. What this is, is synthetic media. And then, you know, how you use it de depends on whether it's harmful or not. So any kind of media manipulation that doesn't have consent from the actors that are, you know, that are in that media and that, in, that intends to deceive you is misinformation and is, you know, unethical. And so I think that it's kind of slightly unfortunate that, well, I mean, it's unfortunate that most synthetic media is manipulative. You know, most 96% of, of the deepfakes out there are non-consensual porn. You know, they're face swapping of women's bodies women's faces onto um kind of porn stars bodies so and then you know there have been some as i say that have been kind of satirical that have been there have been a, a few few uses that have been a threat to security but really um it's correct that most of the deep fakes out there are um have been used for harm but that doesn't mean that all synthetic media is bad and in a way if we had a term for kind of mis, you know, manipulation. It, it essentially, it's manipulation, but just of a different type, um, a different type of media. Um, because when we, you know, we we came across this when we were making our project, we didn't know what to call it because we're very clear in what we've done. It's not misleading. It's a you know, it's a creative alternative history that could well have happened. It's not. This is not something that is trying to harm or deceive people, and yet the word deep fake is what we call these things. Um, so there are lots of uses of synthetic media that are already good right now. So there's a wonderful documentary called Welcome to Chechnya, which used deep fakes to superimpose other faces onto people who were donating their stories about being, um, being gay in Chechnya, where they would be... Um, uh, by, by being identified, they, they would be at risk. And so they use deepfakes to, to, um, uh, to hide their identity. Now that's not a deepfake. It's, you know, it's create, it's, 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 I mean, it's creative use of, of media, but really it's quite, quite bulk standard. This is something in documentary making we do all the time. We, we, um, we blur people's faces or we, you know, we do creative things in media to, to obscure people's faces if, if they're going to be at risk. So that's something that is already now, now being used. Um, you know, Hollywood 
uses CGI. It uses all kinds of techniques to to make creative entertainment. You know, it can be used for that. There's lots of uses in health at the moment. Um, there's a wonderful company called um, uh, Vocal ID, which um, allows people uh, who are either losing their voices or who have no voice to either capture their voice uh, before it goes or to, to take a, a voice of someone who's donated it to them so that they've got, um, so that they, that they have a voice. So that's synthetic voice, you know, it's the same technology as the synthetic Nixon or the deep fake voice that we used. It's just that um, I think that our terminology is, is a little confused just because of that's the way that this synthetic media has very rapidly came out, you know, really, really through Reddit channels. Um, so we haven't really found um, a good terminology to use it and you know actually when i talk to a lot of misinformation experts right now they're much less worried about deep fakes than they are about cheap fakes you know there was a lot of talk about the concerns about manipulation of the election um, that we've just had and actually all of the political misinformation that we had the video misinformation that we had was all cheap fake um, you know it was all it was all very easily manipulated video through editing slowing down you know slow pelosi editing words here and there sleeping biden all of that is just very simple editing so it's not to say that deep fakes aren't a concern but really the main concern at the moment that misinformation experts are talking about is the actual um, erosion of truth and you know this is something we've, we're seeing this week which is how you know how what are the ways that you can destabilize what people think is is real not real you know one way is to go on on to broadcast tv and say i won the election when it's not true you know that is that is one way to do it um, another is is to say prove prove this is true it could be a deep fake and you know a lot of the experts that i've talked to have said it's not actually the deep fakes themselves that are the risk it's the de deniability of all media to be able to point to anything and say prove it it's you know it's, and it's very very hard to prove things as as we know it's it's much easier uh, to prove something is false than it's true so um they call it the liar's dividend the idea that this erosion of truths means that you can deny everything around you which just destabilizes um you know destabilizes reality essentially and you know this is exactly where we are now and as we can all see it's a really really dangerous and unsettling place to be in and you know i've certainly i'm sure you all have found this week very very difficult because it's very difficult to know where this is going when you're getting these alternative narratives which are trying to destabilize the world around us um, by just saying these votes these votes are not legal when they absolutely are now that's a very simple case of you know of misinformation but it shows actually um, that all of these things added together it's not just that the deep fakes are the worrying bit it's that deep fakes are part of a landscape of misinformation um, that are making things really really worrying right now now, now your question was was the, was the opposite it was it was you know how can how can synthetic media be used in positive ways and and certainly you know i really like to talk about our project as being a really good example of that you know yes it's trying to educate about 
what misinformation is and try and make people aware of how they can be deceived. But actually, it's also a creative art project. It's, it's um, you know, it's an installation of an alternative, you know, of an alternative reality, um, which which is is creative uh, and 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 shows you a kind of a documentary possibility that that could have happened, but in a very creative way. Now, I've been thinking a lot about how how synthetic media can be used to create ideas of really positive futures, dystopian futures, as well as really positive futures as well. Um, because, you know, with, with, with AI, you know, we can, we can create videos of all kinds of worlds. We can also create retrospective possibilities as well. I'm really interested as we've been talking a lot this year about how history is told very much from one perspective, you know, from the victor's perspective, from, from the white male gaze and this is the way that we are taught what our history is could we be using synthetic media to tell the narratives that did happen that have happened but that aren't that we don't see videos of that we don't read books of like that would be really interesting to be able to show to have in history classes other videos of what really did happen but that we don't have the documentary uh, material of because it wasn't seen as important so, you know, this is because I come from, you know, I come from a nonfiction and a, and a media background. So I think of this very much in terms of storytelling. But there are lots of people doing amazing work in, in much more abstract arts, you know, who are creating really beautiful uh, visualizations using synthetic media. Um, you know, there's people like Refik Anadol, um, uh, uh, Trevor Palin, you know, people doing really beautiful AI work. Um, that I, I don't know where that's going to go at 2070, but the you know I see AI as a, a really interesting creative tool uh, for artists to, to use, and you know I guess that's the way that the perspective that I see that as just because that's that's the area that I'm working in. There's of course there's going to be amazing possibilities in in all of the industries um, that can use synthetic media in different ways, um, but for me it's got enormous creative potential. Wow, thank you. That's I love the idea of alternative history. Uh, I think it's a fantastic idea. By the way, uh, Francesca, Rafik Anadol was uh, talking to us last week. Just last oh, week. there you go. <laughs> he's great, isn't he? Yeah, oh yeah. He's great. He's amazing. His work is just absolutely, absolutely stunning. So well, that's a good, it's a very good example of synthetic media that's not called deep fake. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's not, he doesn't use figures very much, but he, you know, he's creating deep fake buildings and cities and you know but um you know because of the language that um kind of the of, of kind of manipulation of of um of people specifically um and and the potential that has uh, the language is not developed to show the possibilities of it so let's open the floor to uh, questions any questions uh easton hi mm. Yeah, I, I thought of various things to ask while you're speaking, but I think the most interesting on my mind right now is uh, is whether whether you whether it's imaginable for you, or uh, since you probably put more thought into this than I have, um, that deep fake technology will have people somehow revert revert to a more pre, a more old style of gathering information in the sense that if everything I 
obtain information wise video audio written whatever from my computer from the internet is untrustworthy doesn't mean that people are going to start being much more skeptical of that and only trust things that they can see with their bare eyes so i i guess my answer would be maybe not just with their bare eyes but that have a kind of verification process on it so some of the experts that i've talked to uh, you know are, are thinking about ways um, to use things like blockchain to be essentially um, kind of stamping all kinds of, uh, you know, whether it's your location, location, whether it's uh, media, sound, you know, all kinds of information on what you're doing so that it can be proved, so it can be kind of proven that this is a, a group called Witness who do human rights work. And they do a lot of work trying to prove that people who are, um, who have dealt with human rights atrocities, they can document them and show them. The, the problem about what doc, you know, the idea of doc, of verification, um, so, so kind of living through verification, whether it's, you know, seeing it with your own eyes or being able to say, look, here is the verification and through, through whatever system, you know, we're capturing it in is, um, that it's, um, it's very it's very limiting in terms of um, who has access to those resources. I mean, certainly, you know, actually, it, it's that's still the case with your you know with your own eyes. Like, who gets to actually be there to see the events, but also who gets to have the app that allows you to verify things, that allows you you know because these things use enormous resources and who has and its element of, of power. So, you know, there, there has been a lot of talk about the kind of mass verification system. Um, but that is, I think, very risky. I mean, I can see why that's important. But I also think it's very risky to then move to a world where, you know, it's a bit like the lies dividend that I was talking about, where essentially you're having to prove everything all the time. Is that the kind of world we want to live in? where essentially we're saying I, I don't believe you unless you can prove it a by being here b by prove you know by showing me with with this with this um this material and so i would very much not like to move in that direction um i would prefer us to be trying to you know i guess my my bigger feeling right at the moment maybe this is just because of the week that we're in is how can we re rebuild trust and communications in society so that we're not trying, you know, right now we're fueling misinformation because we're dividing society and increasingly polarizing the world that we're in. And instead of thinking about how technology um, can either, you know, save us through verification or, or, or harm us through deep fakes, I, I guess I feel like we really need to go to the root problem and figure out like why is society so deeply divided that we are doing these things to each other like why why do we why do we need to be causing this harm to each other through misinformation and deep fakes um, i mean of course misinformation has always existed but our world is so polarized at the moment um, that it is ripe for for using this kind of misinformation so i feel like there is a kind of deeper exercise of healing um, certainly that the states needs to go through but actually many countries that are becoming increasingly fractured Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like um, one thing that kind of haunts me a little bit is is ever since I learned that a lot of memes, so like a lot of memes are generated by people who are are sowing division. So a person who wants exactly. people who want there to be more division 
will impersonate, say, a leftist and make a meme that is parodying a leftist point of view so that right-wing people think, oh my gosh, look at these leftists and what they're saying. But actual people didn't even make that, make, uh, make those. So like, uh, I guess straw manning is, it would be the term. Uh, this facilitates people to see a false vision of an adversary and distance uh, two groups of people. Yeah, and the technological systems that, um, you know, that we use, the platforms, um, you know, the, the algorithmic biases is to favour the more polarising content because it is financially more lucrative for these companies as well. So um, there are many layers um, in terms of solving the problem of, of division, of polarisation, of misinformation. Thank you. Cherry, you wanted to ask a question? Yeah, my hand was raised, but then as we were talking, it was sort of, I like my mind started wondering. Uh, but I could just, I guess I could make either, like this is more of a comment than a question. I always find it interesting how um, defake technology or the kind of mechanisms we use to build these technologies is also the same thing that we're using to combat them. So we're using AI to build deepfake, but we're also using AI in the same way to detect deep fakes and you know from like body like face body movements or like eye, a natural eye detection like these are all still ai techniques and the yeah. same thing was natural language processing where you're using these systems to write fake articles and fake news but you're also using natural language processing the same thing to yeah. detect fake news yeah. so so i also find it interesting how this is sort of a double-edged sword and in a way when people think about arms race i think a lot of times you still think about a race or, or sort of a combat in like a big border by border sort of like a country versus country scale yeah. but i think in with this kind of technology it's sort of almost narrowing down the scale of how we're combating these issues like it's 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 like ai versus ai or like ai researchers versus AI researchers or like ai technology ai techniques versus ai techniques so yeah. it's almost like which side of the technology is going to develop maybe beyond the other in a way where it's just not gonna, maybe deepfake is gonna develop so much that even AI networks won't be able to de detect them. Or maybe detection mechanisms are going to develop so much that we no longer have to worry about deepfakes. We just have to, you know, whenever it comes up, we just have to detect it, clarify it, and tell everyone, oh, that was fake news. So, um, so, the, so the, um, yeah. yeah, the experts that I've, I've spoken to about this who are developing the detection software, they, they call it a cat and mouse game exactly you know i can see you doing this which is exactly you know that's exactly what they say you know they go like this you know the the the, the deep fake comes they figure out the pattern then then the you know the people making the deep fakes come up with something slightly more sophisticated they come up and you know so they say that essentially they will never fit you know there's there's never going to be a detection system that just solves it for that reason because people developing this will always develop something more sophisticated, but still the people who are developing the software, the detection software, you know, will be able to, you know, be able to detect that. So that, it's, it's just, it's, it's one element of solving the problem of this type of misinformation. And it has to happen because of the scale of it. So you're absolutely right that the AI does have to fight the AI, but it will never win. Neither side will probably ever win. Um, but it's like one, it's one strand of solving this problem. You know, another strand is going to be what the platforms do, because so much of this content is distributed on platforms. So kind of regulation, regulation via the platforms and also regulation 
uh, via via law. So you know there are various different countries and different states in the United States have put in legal restrictions for this particular type of of misinformation. Um, so far, just around specific time periods around elections. But you know a lot of the legal scholars are thinking what can what can um, uh, what can legislation look like around deep fake technology and then you know and then the other is media awareness and that's kind of where my project fits in which is you can't just assume that the AI robots and the law is going to figure out this problem for us uh, you know we do need to have awareness as I'm saying you know uh, it's not just the misinformation is not just the deep fakes it's like literally the president standing up in front of us saying you know telling lies as well so it's it's the awareness needs to be um, on every level, the cheap fake videos, the texts that we're getting about COVID-19 that are fake, the deep fakes and awareness of um, where to, how to check sources, how to think whether things are likely and realistic when they come to you, um, what, when, to, when to share information, what to look, look at before you do that, what to think about. Um, so a lot of what the misinformation experts are coming up with at the moment is is trying to come up with strategies of of how to educate people with simple messages about how to consider um, the information that, that is being presented to them um, so i see this as a kind of threefold attack on on deep fakes with ai's being an absolutely crucial one of those but 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 probably not one that is going to solve the problem on its own I think that's really interesting in that I feel like in a way this has never changed. It's just that technology has become more advanced. So the problem has become more complex, but in a way, even before all of this, there's always a problem where we tend to gravitate towards, let's say articles that are, are written that, you know, have comfort, like humans naturally have confirmation bias. So we naturally gravitate towards things that we already believe in and we think, oh yeah, that's, that's true, just because that's what I think, so that's probably true. So I feel like in a way, I, I, I also don't think technologies like this are changing much of the structures and, and the processes that you are talking about when it comes to um, law or, or human behavior. I think in a way, it's just becoming more advanced and we have this natural tendency to be fearful of new things and new, new elements and new creations, but the very fundamental sort of techniques that we are using to debunk, I guess, conspiracies or debunk things that are fake. That, that has, I think at its core, it's never changed. Just like you said, it's a threefold problem. We're just, now that we're using AI to detect these mechanisms because technology has advanced, but in terms of legal structures or in terms of social awareness, that's, that's never really changed. And it's just become easier on, on social media platforms to widely spread misinformation. So, it's, so it's interesting. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and actually the kind of psychologists say that the, the kind of, um, you know, the more extreme, the more extreme, like fake news, people will click on more, they are more likely to click on something that is novel and that looks fake, that looks extraordinary, you know, a bit like gossip. It's like, you know, oh, if it's a bit salacious, if it's, if, if it's a bit unusual, you're more likely um, to, you know, have your ears pricked up. And so you're absolutely right that that is just, it, you know, it's been proved as human nature. And the problem are our distribution models that, you know, we used to have gatekeepers before and now we don't. And so the mass distribution potential means that we're in a very different landscape, both distribution and production. So, you know, even though the deep fate that I created 
I couldn't do because it was, you know, so complicated. There are face swapping apps that are very, you know, very easy for anyone to use. They're pretty crude, but, you know, enough to do an enormous amount of harm. And so, the, the, you know, we can all now be producers of misinformation and we can all be distributors of misinformation. And that means that is a very different landscape from, 50 years ago when there were, you know, a very few outlets for misinformation, it still happened, but um, it was, you know, it was far fewer and it was far more regulated by gatekeepers. So you're absolutely right on both points. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I was wondering um, how, you've seen or, or any potentials for how this technology kind of um, changes, expands perception of what our bodies can do, of what we're capable of. Cause I remember I listened to the, the brave, the brave planet yeah. that you were part of and they talk about, you know, the ballerina yeah. example and stuff. I was wondering what other sorts of. Um, yeah. And it's a lovely example that, isn't it? Because it's now being used for people who, you know, have, um, don't have the same physical capacities for movement, but, you know, giving them the capacity to, 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 um, to be able to visualize themselves as dancing. Um, I haven't seen any kind of neuroscience experiments on what that, like, like actually, categorically does you know internally to yourself if you watch yourself performing as um you know a world-class dancer like what that internal effect is um i can kind of anecdotally say from having done experiences in vr where i've been given virtual bodies and being you know i've done um kind of social vr experiments where you are given another body and you interact with other people that you certainly at least i have certainly had a very different idea of like myself physically and also of your identity when you're given another persona and you're put with another group of people. So I, I think my, my, and, and I, actually I've done a few of these AI things, which, which do get you to move in different, you know, in, in different ways. And it is, it is, I have found it really interesting kind of psychologically what the effect of that is. It's just that I, I've got no data to be able to stand that up. But I think that's a really, I mean, I think that's such an interesting area to explore. That's fascinating. Just a heads up that I'm going to have to go in nine minutes. So um, I can take a couple, few more questions um, or if there's anything specific else that you want to get out of, out of this time before I have to go. So who's got a burning question that they absolutely need to ask? Yeah, what if the world, what the world might have been if 9-11 had failed? I would like to see that world. I'm just reading your comments. Um, I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you see this going beyond like the very elite and very privileged academic spaces? MIT has been criticized in the past, like especially the media lab and stuff like that for being kind of, um, not that this is your project at all, no, no, but like making technology to make technology and then the message and the goal come after. And I'm wondering like how, how you see how virtuality fits into this. Mm. So I guess there's virtuality in general and then there's um, AI. So, you know, some of the, some of the projects that I like the most, the kind of virtuality projects, um, 
that I found the most creative have been those on Instagram recently. Um, you know, alternative, there's a, um, a wonderful project that I was just looking at last night called Sylvia, which was, um, um, uh, uh, actually it's, it's a, a, an AI created woman who is kind of aging at a very, very fast rate. And she, she started, started life in her forties at the beginning of COVID and I think is going to die by the end of the year. And it's just this very, very moving persona that they've created via AI. Um, but they've also been, you know, really interesting experiments on, on, on Instagram that have been through just, um, actors, you know, creating other, other worlds and other situations, which I think are, um, you know, I would say that is virtuality and is, is really accessible to anyone with a phone who wants to create imaginative other kind of, you know, layering on other worlds into, into this real one. Um, so I think, you know, I've worked in VR for a long time and now this expensive AI project and those, you know, there ha those have been expensive projects, but especially, you know, I actually think that the stuff that's most interesting is the stuff that's really accessible on platforms that lots of people have. I think TikTok is one of the most interesting platforms at the moment in terms of, you know, layering, um, kind of mixing different, different versions, collaborative storytelling, you know, that is, that is a really fascinating place to be creating um, kind of layered experiences. So, yeah, you're right that, um, you know, elite institutions have got possibilities that other places don't. Um, but I also think that um, there, that, that actually using platforms that a lot of people have access to and taking what's available to those and, and really using them creatively, um, is, is kind of the most interesting thing for me at the moment. Okay, we got time for one more question. So, uh, I, go ahead, Damon. Is oh, sorry. Damon? Yes, uh, it's a very, very, very quick question. I, I wonder, Francisca, if do we see a glimmer of hope in um, rising tech literacy being a solution to this? Um, cause it occurs to me that like, uh, you know, technology and it's, you know, um, age of wonder manifestation, you know, when it first was integrated into society as, as this sort of, you know, miracle that we can identify it as now, mm -hmm. um, its role was very verificatory. It was very, it was very much in the enterprise of disambiguation. Yeah. And I'm told, I mean, I'm no authority obviously on, on computer science, but I, my understanding is that. A competent computer scientist can tell whether or not something has been edited, edited visually. Mm -hmm. And so if we were to have this competency, we'd be able to verify uh, for ourselves whether or not something was an illusion. Um, when it seems that a problem technology can't fix for those who don't understand technology is the problem of trust, right? Mm -hmm. And so we might rely on ourselves if we were to say learn coding languages in public schools or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, I think that we've already seen the development in terms of people's understanding of technology and things like video editing and, um, you know, Photoshop, like we understand techniques that are used that we didn't understand, you know, 30 years ago, because only the real experts would airbrush, you know, models on adverts. And now we see pictures and we, we know that they've been, um, we know they've been altered because we understand the technology, we understand the software because we're using it. 
And I think you're right that as essentially we all become producers and makers because we are making media all the time. Um, the more that we are skilled in terms of, you know, whether it's the coding or whether it's the tools that are available, um, you know, the AI tools or the, you know, the simpler creative tools, the more that we are evolved in making things, the more we understand what is possible in terms of manipulation. So, you know, although the harm that comes out with uh, is, you know, that we can all be producers of misinformation, it also means that we all understand the techniques much better. So I think you're absolutely right that, you know, as we have generations of people who are understand um, what is possible with, you know, both simple coding, but also deep learning techniques that, 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 that as, as audiences will be less susceptible to them because it'll become, um, you know, it's less novel. I mean, we find that, don't we, always with media, that the novel techniques are the ones um, you know that deceive because they're new and we're not expecting them and that's why there's been so much press about deep fakes is because you know we're not used to seeing this type of media manipulation but once everyone can do it and everyone can uh, you know hopefully make really creative pieces of synthetic media um, people will be you know more prone to think about how likely is this to be uh, manipulated and you know should I check this out what's the source of it um, so I think you're I think that's a really good point and not some, not something I had particularly thought of before um, especially about kind of technical literacy and I've been thinking a lot about media literacy but I think you're absolutely right that it's also technical literacy all right thank you thank you so much Francesca for the time you took thank you're you really we hope we'll be able to speak to you again or other people in your lab. Uh, we'd be happy to keep on engaging. Those are just fascinating questions. And congratulations on that uh, Nixon clip. It was just, Thank you. it was just amazing. I keep showing it to people said, look, look what they found in the archives. <laughs> just oh dear, don't spread misinformation. <laughs> no, no, I always <laughs> tell them afterwards. <laughs> all right, lovely to meet you all. Thank, no, you. thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.